This episode of Toddversations is brought to you by Envy, the ultimate Apple experience. Learn more about Envy at envyapple.com. Hey, everybody. How are you doing today? Welcome. We are thrilled that you're hanging out with us once again. Such an honor to take a little piece of your life and uh, hopefully fill it with a bunch of love and kindness. And open your eyes and your mind and your ears to all kinds of new stuff. Like we say, I'm not here to tell you what to think, but I certainly want to put you in a position to think. And we're going to do that today. I am thrilled with my guest. He is a very big voice inside the organic industry. He's been around a very long time, not to age you, my friend, not to make it sound bad, but you've been around a long time. He's talked about a lot of things. And if you if you follow what he writes and you follow what he has to say, it's a good read. That's my recommendation. Check it out. Get on the Google machine. You know how to type it in there. Get on there. Get on his newsletter. Uh, he's a very worthy voice, and I'm very honored to have him here today. So please, everybody, welcome the founder of Organic Insider, the one, the only, Max Goldberg. Welcome, sir. I'm thrilled you're here. Hey, Todd. Thanks so much for having me. It's a, it's a pleasure, and uh, I really appreciate a few minutes uh, to be on your show. Thank you, my brother. I appreciate that. Of course, you say that now. Let's get to the end and say that again. I'll feel way better. <laughs> but I'm excited because you are a big voice in this industry and you're certainly one that a lot of people pay attention to. You always have been, you know, the, the, you, the, the, the folks that you have that quote you or some big names that are out there that talk about what you do and the leadership that you provide and, and the leadership with the pin, which is incredibly important. And I think that it's uh we need more voices like that out there. You know, again, making people think, making people stop and pause and wonder um, because we don't do enough of it, right? We steam through life and it's just sometimes we need that stop and pause moment and those those bright ideas like you throw out to people. So thank you again for being here. Let's get started. Let's get rolling. You know, as I do with all my guests, I don't read people's bios because they have a tendency to have too many big words and I'm, you know, I, I don't want to take that and I'll screw it up. So I'd rather have you do it. It's better from your heart than mine anyway. So if you wouldn't mind, just share briefly with everybody a little bit of your journey in bio and how I roped you into hanging with them. Um, well, again, thanks. Thanks for having me, Todd. So my story is, you know, I was never, I did not study journalism in college. After, after college, I went to work on Wall Street in investment banking and sort of fell into what I'm doing. Um in the end of 2009, beginning of 2010. But I first found organic in, truly found organic was in the summer of 2001. And that's when I was uh, dating a woman and we went to go visit her naturopath. This was in New Mexico. And all of a sudden, you know, I met the naturopath. I said, don't we need all the chemicals to kill, uh, to kill all the bugs? And she's like, no, we don't. And I went, I remember vividly, I went back to New York City. I was living in New York at the time, went back and researched it. And I was like, wow, I couldn't believe the stuff that was being sprayed on our food and the GMOs. And ever since that time in the summer of 2001, I've been eating close to 100% organic. And several years later, I had a guy who wanted to invest in me and open up a, a chain of coffee shops, essentially Starbucks, but organic. And in 2004, I went to work at Starbucks for three months and I realized I didn't want to, I didn't want to be in the coffee business. I didn't even drink coffee. Uh, and I figured, <laughs> okay, so I am just going to be, I really, I didn't even know that these trade shows, natural products, Expo East, Expo West, I didn't even know that they existed. Yeah. Um, and then several years later, uh, blogging started to take off and someone recommended to me that I start a green blog. And I was like, I don't really want to start a green blog. If I do anything, I want to start an organic food blog. That's what I really care about. And it just so happened right around that time, I was in Boston at the time and Natural Products Expo East, the second largest trade show in the industry, 
was taking place in Boston literally that day. It was that was like the first day. I got the uh, cell phone number of the woman who ran the press room. I said, I told her who I was. I said, I don't have a website. I don't have business cards. I have nothing. But can I come? And she was like, sure, call me, come and call me and I'll, and I'll get you in. This was, you know, Twitter had just started and Facebook had just started. There was no Instagram and LinkedIn was still very early. And I don't think there were a lot of people begging their way into these trade shows like, like it is now where it's no. very, very popular. So that's kind of started the, the journey. And I put up a blog, Living Maxwell, and I ended up moving back to New York and just made a decision. I said, I'm going to make myself known. And I just started showing up everywhere. I'd go to every event. And the, the, the organic scene in New York City at that time was very vibrant. This was when Organic Avenue was starting to come into its own. Juice Press had just started. Uh, the, the, the organic community and scene in New York City was very, very vibrant. Uh, a good number of organic restaurants. And then I just started going to the shows. I'd go, I go. I had already been to Expo East. So I went to Natural, Natural Products Expo West. And I just went to one show after the next. And I remember showing up and you know, people had no idea who I was. And then they'd see me at one show and another show and another show. And all of a sudden they started recognizing me. I got some good press right. at the times. And, and the other big thing that happened was um, you know, I got into organic food, like most people for personal reasons, because of what organic would mean for my own health. Sure. And when I got into the industry and really started understanding what was going on, I realized the injustices that were taking place with particularly the, the pesticides and how that was impacting the farm workers and the GMO contamination and the lack of GMO labeling. And then I think it was 2012 where GMO labeling became the issue in the industry. And California had the Prop 37 there, that, that ballot initiative. And um, I got involved and put on several fundraisers for that and other GMO labeling uh, initiatives throughout the country. And so activism really became the guiding force. It was the reason I was doing everything. And, and then a few years later, this was in 2016, I said, uh, I had my organic blog, Living Maxwell. And then I said, you know, and I run the organic food industry a group on, on LinkedIn, which we have, we have about 40,000 members right now. And back then, Todd, you could send out a weekly email to the group. You can't do that anymore. But back then you could send out a one weekly email. And we used to have meetups at Expo West. The first year we had six people. Then we had like 40. <laughs> and the biggest was like 90 people. So we, we don't do the meetups anymore. But I said, you know, I was speaking to too many CEOs who didn't know what glyphosate was, who didn't know what was going, they, they didn't know what was going on in the industry politically. Yeah. That's where, I, you know, really I live. Uh, and I said, okay, if I can create a newsletter, essentially doing what I was doing on LinkedIn, I would have a curated, you know, curated links and, and what a little bit of commentary, not much. So if I can take that off of LinkedIn, create my own newsletter, and if the CEOs and founders actually read it, each week, they would have a good idea of what was going on. And that's how uh, Organic Insider was started. And we're, it's this, this fall will be seven years with that. And, uh, and, and really, that's, um, that's sort of my journey in Organic. I love it. Well, you know, Organic Insider is a great read, like I said before. And to your point, there's a lot of people that read it. There's a lot of people that use that as a, you know, as a source of what do I need to be paying attention to? And, you're, and you're, you said something I want to come alongside. It was like, you know, if you're CEO of a company, you have so many moving parts and 
staying informed is a hard part of being a CEO about a multiplicity of issues, why you have staff, why you have people around you. So to have something like the Organic Insider to kind of fuel their curiosity, to spark some conversation, to ask questions downstream within their own structure, I think is incredibly valuable. So kudos to what you've done in the journey. And I'm glad you're, you know, I'm glad it's been however many years and you've been continuing to go. But it's funny because you bring up Expo West. So I go so far back. I can remember when Expo West did fit inside the Anaheim Convention Center and it was only on one floor and it wasn't 17 floors and 17 buildings with 17 million people. A total difference to watch that industry explode and grant and, you know, and take off. Let's get into it a little bit. Let's talk about this industry. I want to pick your brain a little bit and start talking about stuff. What are the things that, that, that excite you today, you know, in the industry? Well, two of the things that I'm really excited about are, and there's a lot to be concerned about and people who are in this industry, you can get really depressed if you let it get to you. But there, but what I do say when I do talk about all the things that I'm concerned about, which I'm sure we will get to, is the, the two add-on labels uh, called, one is called Regenerative Organic Certified, which was started by Dr. Bronner's Patagonia and Rodale Institute. And the mm-hmm. other one was called, is called uh, Real Organic Project, which was started by uh, small organic farmers, mostly in the Northeast. It's a national organization uh, it's, it, on the way to being international, um, small organic farmers who grow in the soil. And those are the things, those two add-on labels are what I am most excited about in the industry right now, because these are people who are really, really committed to organic and are going to help it survive and thrive for many years to come. So some people might be saying, well, what is an add-on label? What does this all mean? So these are labels that go, are added onto a product that has the USDA organic seal. Right. The organic seal, the USDA organic is the baseline. And so for regenerative organic certified, um, soil health, uh, uh, worker fairness, and animal welfare, those are the three pillars. So it's a regenerative organic standard and real organic project. The primary primary things are no, no hydroponics. And hydroponics is not allowed in regenerative organic certified, no hydroponics and no, no factory farms in organic. Um, So those are the, those are the two key things for real organic project and regenerative organic certified has, has those three pillars. So um, real organic project primarily has been a farmer certified labels up to this point that is going to be changing they have about 1,250 farms that have been certified in the country. Um, and then real or uh, regenerative organic certified ROC has, I think the numbers up to, it's a hundred plus brands uh, right now. Right. So nature, nature's path as an ROC um, instant oatmeal and Dr. Bronner says an ROC coconut oil and, and Patagonia has got the ROC um, mango um, slices and um, so there are, you know, Lotus Foods has an ROC rice. They're on. I'm, I know I'm missing many. Well, there's a bunch of them. Yeah, no. There's a lot. So it's it's growing. So I'm really excited about this because ROC is and and real organic project too is really raising the bar for what organic represents. And these are people who are incredibly incredibly uh, committed 
to really protecting and furthering uh, organic. Yeah, cool. I love it. Well, I'm, I'm going to dive into all of that a little bit, but I figured if we're at this point, let's find out what concerns you. Let's get them all to get what you, what, you know, what excites you. And let's talk about what concerns you. And then we'll take it from there. Well, you know, if we getting back to why Real Organic Project was formed was an and ROC too, was uh, the USDA, the Organic Food Production Act of 1990 has language in there. It says farmers must have a management plan that fosters soil fertility. Section five six five section six five one three. I mean, that's what it says. You have to have a management plan that fosters soil fertility. Yet the USDA is allowing hydroponic operations in organic. It's a complete and total violation of the organic rules, and the USDA is allowing it. So what happened? What happens is the following: is that consumers so. If you're growing in hydroponic, this is these are massive operations and they're putting soil grown farmers out of business. They're putting them oh. out of the, the soil grown farmers cannot compete. Can you I mean, can you give can you cite can you tell me, can you give me an instance of that? Because I'm not I'm not hip to their scale. I mean, are you talking about like tomato guys? Are you talking about berries? Somebody doing lettuce? Berries, berries, blueberries are very hard to find nationally that are grown in the soil. Are there soil grown organic berries? Yes, but it's becoming increasingly more difficult to find. What you're gonna find more often than not is hydroponic, uh, fresh, organic blueberries. Yeah, but those are container grown, but those are container grown, not hydroponic though, correct? I mean, those, I mean, I wanna make sure we're clear because- It's all the same thing. It's drip fed nutrients. And that is part of the thing, Todd, is the mm-hmm. industry has done a masterful job of confusing everything of what is it, what, what the issue is. Well, if it's container, it's okay. But really, all they're doing is putting uh, peat moss or coconut choir in the container and they're drip feeding nutrients. It's essentially the same thing as hydroponics. And this is what they've done. They've confused everyone, mostly the people on the National Organic Standards Board, uh, thinking that, okay, but if it's container grown, it's okay. No, it's not. It's not grown in the soil. It's drip fed nutrients. It's essentially the same thing. And this is part of the lobbyist playbook is to confuse everyone. And so everyone's confused about what it is, but the reality is it's not grown in the soil. So okay, let's, let's talk on it because I, 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 being somebody that's been around the soil my entire career, I have no issues with it. This is, you know, there's not a right or wrong, in my opinion, on this. I always come from the perspective when I thought about this career, you know, going into organics, one of the things we talked about, you know, a thousand years ago was how do you feed the world, right? Organic produce. And so while I spent my time in the soil, being a part of that whole thing, I've come to the realization that organic produce isn't growing at a pace that's going to feed the world at the way we need to go with the resources that we're lacking and the things that are going on. So when I look about this, like, how do you, how do we feed the world by not embracing agriculture technology? I'm agreeing with what you're saying. I'm this, I'm not looking for an argument. I'm trying to get to the point of like, but how do we get there with this? Because while the USDA allows it, the courts allowed it too. It's been tried twice and we get all that. I mean, it goes back and forth and I don't disagree with, you know, with the loudest voice generally gets the biggest opinion in a lot of ways. And but I have to go back and ask the question, like, how do we feed the world if we don't embrace agriculture technology? Well, I, I think we can feed the world through regenerative organic agriculture. I mean, I, you know. But, but you don't have to be regenerative. You don't have to be organic to be regenerative. So that becomes really confusing right. as well to consumers. Well, I think organic can feed the world. And I also believe that 
people are conditioned to believe that without GMOs and all this technology, we can't feed the world. And I don't, I don't buy into that. I agree with you there. I think that's a bunch of bullshit myself. I think it's becomes when you start to, when you start to become mother nature or you start, you know, I think that's a problem. We working with mother nature is one thing, becoming mother nature is a huge problem and it's not worked out so far and it's not going to continue to work out. I agree with you there. You're not going to get an argument with me on that. Cause I think it's, I think it's very dangerous without a doubt. But again, how do we do it? How do we feed the world? When we don't, we don't have enough farmers. We don't have second generations farmers. We have people out there that are utilizing technology. They're putting you know, food in the food desert. You got people growing food in Dubai, right? Which they, <laughs> I've been to Dubai. <laughs> you can grow a palm tree. That's pretty good. But otherwise, it's a pretty tough place to grow stuff. So to be able to put something inside to protect the environment, cut down your carbon footprint, reduce the water, you know, all these things. Those are all core you know, pillars of what the organic movement's all about. So I struggle, I, again, I struggle with that feeding the world deal. And I'm not a, you know, soil is such an important part of this planet. We're taking care of it is such an important tool that we need, but we can't do enough of it in the industry to feed the world. There's just not enough people coming to do the work, but there is through the technology space. And I think about, again, I'll use Dubai as an example. If I was in Dubai and could get food that came 50 miles from where I live that was grown under organic practices, that I'm not going to glow at night or have any of these other issues, I have a hard time looking away from that today. My position is totally different than what it was 25, 30 years ago. But today I have a different look because, again, I'm trying to feed the world. I, I mean, I I think if people want to grow hydroponically, they they should grow it. I have nothing, nothing against hydroponics. I just don't think it's organic. And to say, well, we need or we need to allow hydroponics and organic to feed the world is not something I subscribe to. And same same thing with with GMOs. There are people within the organic industry, USDA officials, Greg Ibach, former senior official at the USDA, testified in a a congressional subcommittee hearing saying that we we should be considering gene editing and organic. Two members of the National Organic Standards Board, who I interviewed for my newsletter, said they were very upset that that they faced a lot of pressure because uh, they wanted to bring up the discussion of GMOs and organic, but were shot down and faced a lot of pressure. They were very upset about it. I don't believe GMOs should be inorganic. I do not believe hydroponics should be inorganic. And I think we can feed the world with organic. The majority of the world are small farmers. And, you know, people are... Are, are, are believing this propaganda that we need all this technology to feed the world. I, I just don't subscribe to it. Yeah, I don't look, we, I'm going to talk to you a little bit about CRISPR and, uh, and all that and gene editing, because that's, it's, it's a scary thing, but I, you know, I wrap up this thing when it comes to what you're saying, you know, organic is an amazing business. It's an amazing thought process. Um, I look at the end of the day, you know, I look at some of the technologies out there where you're, you know, you're, 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 Again, back to the core pillars, your water, the different things that are, you know, are benefits to what this technology brings. But the bottom line issue is the food's still organic. There's no difference in the food from a from a from a nutritional standpoint. There's no difference in the food from what's inside the food. I mean, if there is, I've not seen any kind of a study. Somebody that's growing organically, that's growing a tomato organically in a greenhouse, to somebody that's growing a tomato outside. I mean, it's all you've all got to follow the same rules. Again, the soil is a big part of it. And I'm not taking anything away from that argument. I just go back to that original question: How do we feed the world? And I can't get past. And I can't get past that. That's where I'm stuck. Which is why I lean into this. Like, okay, if we, you know, but I also want to make sure that I bring the point that I believe organic has a responsibility to raise the bar in agriculture technology, and we are not doing a very good job of that. Let's be fair with that too, because we're not. We're not holding the bar. Well, I, I think there. Look, there. There are many problems with organic in terms of. 
uh, the, the rules not being enforced and uh, soil could be farmed a lot better. Um, so I, I find it's really about, I don't have an issue with the rules in organic. It's more about, are the rules being enforced? That to me is, is totally, yeah. an issue. And when you say, how can we feed the world? Uh, you know, are, are people in Venezuela not being fed now because we don't have enough food in the world? Or is that a political issue? I, I would say it's a political issue. It's not a, you know, the, the, this, was with what's going on with the war in Ukraine has obviously um, created disruptions, but but you know but before and that's and that's a political issue. So, so pre the Ukraine war, are people or even now are the people in Venezuela starving because there's not enough food in the world? I would say no, that's a joke. I say it's a political issue, not a not a food scarcity issue. Well, yeah, I, I don't I don't disagree that that's um, a part of that factor without a doubt, and I think that. Um, well, it, it goes to what I talk about all the time. We just don't value food. We don't, we don't take the time to value. We don't take the time to understand in this country. And we, we chatted on a little bit before we flipped the cameras on. And I'm happy to kind of jump into that a little bit about how I don't believe that America truly values our food. You know, you think about the way a kid starts out. Kids start out, their palates are developed with sugar, salt, and fat. And that is a death sentence and a trail that we go down in this country that, you know, to your point, we have plenty of excess food, right? We throw away, every American throws away the equivalent of 650 apples each all year, you know, every, it's, that's a lot of apples and food waste, right? And so I think it, it does come down to what you're saying. And I think it comes down, and you brought it up earlier about these voices that are out there, you know, again, the loudest voice generally moves the boat, right? In a lot of ways, or moves the crowd rather, not the boat, that'd be weird. But um, it, it becomes, um it becomes a real problem when we don't put enough energy into doing the work that you're doing, which is educating people, putting these things out there for people to debate and to think and, and to wrap their minds around. Because I think it's the only way we're going to change to the ultimate goal, which is what I keep going back to, which we talked about. Like, how are we going to feed the world organic produce? By telling them why they need to be invested in this, what this all means, and why it doesn't matter. And starting off kids with sugar, salt, and fat is not the solution, in my opinion. Yeah. And, and, you know, when, when people say, well, we need GMOs to feed the world, it's, you know, you look at the, the Rodale, the, uh, the, the 40 year study they have where they've, you know, done uh, side by side studies of organic and GMO and the yields are not meaningfully different. And then you just from a purely intellectual standpoint, you've got organic farmers who are about supporting local communities and soil health. And you've got GMOs, which are patent protected. It's all about profits. It's about selling more chemicals. So just from a purely intellectual standpoint, you know, is, is that a better way to go or is it, you know, or is organic a better way to go? And it's, it's, it's all about patents and corporate profits and um, control of the food supply. So that is the, that is the system that we are being told we need to feed the world. And just, if you don't know anything, does that sound right? Doesn't sound right. Me. Yeah, no. Well, to quote the great George Carlin, right? Tyranny is a natural progression of civilization, <laughs> quite frankly. And it, we, but you know, it goes back to what we, you know, basically the whole premise of why I wanted you to come on is to, is to put these conversations up. But we've got to get people 
minds wrapped around these things. And whether whether you and I don't agree on the hydroponic, it doesn't really matter. The fact of the matter is, is at least people are like, well, what do I think about this now? And I think that's what's powerful is we give people that opportunity to think, which is why I think you do such a great job of putting that out in your newsletter that you throw out to everybody. It's like I said, why it's such a great read. Let's get into some of this crazy crap. I'm sorry, if you want to say something, go ahead. I'll keep my mouth shut. Sorry. Well, just on this hydroponics issue, what people yeah. should do is, because some people might be hearing this for the first time and saying, wait, wait a second, my berries and my tomatoes and my leafy greens are not grown in the soil. They're grown in water. Uh, yeah, they might be. What you should do is you should go check out the, and a lot of the companies are not too forthcoming, not going to mention names with some of the big companies, make it very confusing uh, to know if they are growing hydroponically, the organic ones, if they are growing hydroponically or in the soil, but you can go to Real Organic Project they, and see if they are Real Organic Project certified, because if they're ROP certified, that means they are growing in the soil. Right. Um, so that's something for consumers to, to, to know about. Well, but to be fair, because, you know, 85% of your organic tomatoes are coming out of a greenhouse today in this country. Yeah, a greenhouse right? can be soil. Well, it could be soilless too, right? But what? But I mean, you know, you put it in, you put it into a five-pound bag of soil. I mean, is that close enough? I mean, what's the difference between a five-pound bag of soil and a tomato, and you know, putting a plug of, of lettuce in, into you know a medium, whatever well, hydroponically? You're, you're, you're growing it in the soil, and you are getting the microbes of the soil that just the that that do not exist in in water. I mean, that's that's the big thing. You said, well, how do we yeah. know? It's like, well, we don't even know. The billions and trillions of microbial uh, microbiota in the soil, we don't even know what it what is there to really fully understand everything. Mm-hmm. And that just simply cannot be duplicated, I believe, in hydroponics. And maybe you get some of the macronutrients that are similar. I do not believe you can replicate uh, the, the microbiome that's in the soil in, in a, a plastic bucket of water. And I think I think that... Uh, I would defer that. I think that there is stuff out there now that talks about what they can do from a microbiome standpoint, what they can create, how they've been able to do it. I mean, technology is advancing so fast. doesn't take away from the fact we still need soil. It doesn't take back that soil, you know, helps with carbon and all the other important things that soil does. But until I'm in t- my position is until I'm convinced that we have enough organic dirt farmers that are going to feed the world and change this narrative in our country. I don't see how we can look away from it but again, but I want us to raise the bar. I'm not saying do it to do it. I'm saying raise the bar. And one of the things the industry won't do, they won't come together to raise the bar, which is insane to me. Well, I think we would have more soil grown organic farmers if they could see uh, the, a, a bright future and the, and the, and these rules were being enforced when the rules are not being enforced, and let's talk about dairy for a second, with these are small mm-hmm. organic dairy farmers going out of business. Why? Why are these uh, family farmers selling off their land? The kids are not getting into it because they don't see a future in it. Why is that? Because the USDA is allowing these massive organic factory farms in Texas and Arizona that are the antithesis of of what organic dairy was supposed to be. So the rules are not being enforced, which makes it difficult for these small operators who are doing the right thing to stay in business. So, uh, so that could explain partially why we are struggling to find more organic farmers. Yeah, well, you're, look, it, it, you're right. It's a tough business. Um, it's easier to sell your ground you know, to real estate than it is to keep going. I see that here. I've seen it. It's just happening. It just literally has just happened here in my own community. 
where it's like, you know, hey, we are the second generation and we're gone. We're going to sell this. We're going to make a fortune or they're going to hold back the water. They're going to do their different things. I mean, it's just, you know, again, it's capitalism at its finest. It's one of the parts about capitalism kind of freaks you out because they don't they don't think about the long game of what they're doing in some of this, especially when it comes to our food, because food insecurity is probably one of the biggest threats and scariest things out there. There's a lot of other threats and scary things, but being a, a country that's food insecure, that's a problem. That's a real big problem. And, yeah. you know, um, I, one of the things I really try to do in Organic Insider, to, I really try to represent the voices of small organic farmers yeah. because they are so marginalized in our industry and so disrespected. Whenever these big CPG companies sell for hundreds of millions or billions of dollars, that's not possible without these farmers. Without the farmers, there's no food and there are no CPG companies. And yet yeah. when uh, big CPG companies uh, cash out for hundreds of millions or billions of dollars, that doesn't that doesn't trickle down to the farmers. I mean, they are barely making a, uh, making a living. It's a tough living. There's no two ways about it. I, I have all the respect in the world for anybody that's in the agriculture space. Period. I don't care if you're organic or you're you're not. I think that you take that you take that responsibility on to uplift your country on your shoulders and feed people. That's something that I think needs more respect all the way across yeah. the board. And I really hope people, when they go to the market, uh, supermarket or the farmer's market, and if organic is more expensive, they start thinking, well, it, you know, I can afford the extra 10 cents or 20 cents a pound of whatever I'm buying because I am going to, this is going to support an organic farmer yeah. doing it the right way. We're so, as you mentioned, we're so conditioned in this country that food is supposed to be cheap. And it's and and you know really we need to change the paradigm. Uh, food is not supposed to be cheap. Food should be expensive. Well, cheap has a hidden cost, and we're paying for that in so many ways, right? Whether it's healthcare, whether it's environmental, whether it, whatever it is. Yeah, no. Look, I, 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 I goes back to what I said earlier about the understanding the real value of food, and I think the only way that we're going to make the, the the fastest, most positive change is by working with our kids through the school systems and trying to get kids to better understand what food, the real value of what food is. I think to me that's the fastest, most effective lift, because not only do you change their health, you change the climate, you, you know, you change resources, you open up, you open up the world to a whole nother thing. And it goes back to what I said and what I firmly believe is like, how are we going to feed the world organic fruits and the aliens? Don't want to, I can't leave the aliens out, Max, because they're coming and I'm assuming they're going to eat organic. That's just my, my thought. What do you mean they're coming? They're already here. Well, I know they are, but we don't actually, well, we, we have a, I could pick out a few. There's a few people I think, yeah, I think he might be an alien. Elon, maybe, maybe Elon. He may not be from here. I'm thinking maybe Steve Jobs, another one may not have been from here. I don't know. I don't know. We'll see. We'll see how it plays out. Just talk a little bit if we can, because you and I went back and forth on, on an exchange about what's coming next. And I think that freaks me out a little bit, which is this what's called CRISPR, right? Clustered regulatory, interspace, short. I got to look. I, I tried to do it off the top of my head. I can't do it. I ain't that good. Pandodromic repeats, which I don't even know what the hell that means. Basically, it's just a bunch of DNA sequencing and adding or removing genes into things, which again, goes back to my freak out about being mother nature as opposed to working with mother nature. But this is really wild stuff because you're tweaking the genetic code of product now, right? And, and it, you know, when you change the code, you own the code. So that becomes a weird deal. So, you know, it spreads to other farms. We've seen that with the GMO thing. We've seen what that does. You know, we try to suppress Mother Nature. It has not worked. It will not work. It has not worked since the dawn of time. It will not work past our time um, to mess with her. So talk to me a little bit about some of this stuff that you're seeing with this CRISPR and this gene editing, GMO, GMOs, 
been around for a long time and continues to be talked about and still thrown in our faces without really knowing anything about it. Um, but if you wouldn't mind, talk about that a little bit. How's that making you feel these days? I think it's the biggest threat to organic that we face, period. And I don't think people understand the difference between gene edited foods and traditional GMOs. So why don't we talk about that? So traditional GMOs, GMO corn, soy, soy, canola, um, things like that. What they're doing is they're taking DNA from bacteria from one organism and putting it into a different organism. So it's transgenic. That's been the traditional GMOs. Gene edited, I was in uh, the elevator the other day with a very famous chef. And I said to her, what do you think about gene edited foods? Oh, no, 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 we don't use any of that. I'm not really sure she knew. I don't think most people really understand the difference. I think she meant genetically engineered food. Yes, gene edited foods are genetically engineered, but they're different in that the gene edited foods, they're not taking DNA from foreign organisms. They're going into the plant and they're rearranging the genetic code. Right. And so because of that, because of the, the, it's something called the plant pest um, criteria or regulation, this is because they're going in and actually rearranging and not adding anything new from the outside, they are av- a, a, able to avoid all regulation uh, that traditional GMOs have been, have been, have come under and they're getting patents and they're, they're gene editing uh, greens and they just, they're gene editing pigs they, They're going to gene edit literally everything. And why is it dangerous? Number one, uh, nothing's going to be labeled as GMO. So you're not going to know that you're eating a genetically engineered food. Number Mm -hmm. two, it's going to contaminate uh, conventional and organic farms. We've seen the GMO contamination issue with uh, uh, canola oil, for example, uh, um, other things. So these gene edited foods, the contamination could be a real problem. And, you know, these gene editing processes are not foolproof. They're not exact. Uh, mistakes can happen. I interviewed um, the guy, Kai, his name is Caius Romans. He's a PhD. He worked at uh, Monsanto and Simplot, I believe. He's the guy who invented the genetically engineered potato that doesn't bruise. And right. He really had regrets after the fact, and he wrote a book, and he's in hiding now. He is, as far as I know, he's not available. He's off the grid. Um, maybe he's come back. I don't know, but he was at the time. And he really he, he really started to question, why did he do these things? And he really started to regret it. He's like, why are we changing something that has evolved over evolution that, it, you know, a, a vegetable expresses certain traits for a reason? And then right. so these these people who are doing gene editing have decided no we want we're we are going to change uh, mother nature and we are going to make changes and uh, uh, based on what we think it should be not what is allowed um, uh, with say under you know uh, crossbreeding for example right um, so these people are playing God with our food supply. And the, the danger is, A, it's not going to be labeled. You're not going to know it. They're selling it no. to service. So none of that gets labeled. And people really are not going to be, uh, the, the people who are serving it, they probably think they're doing a good thing. Oh, it's going to be, we're, we're told it has more nutrition or it expresses, uh, you know, this has more vitamin C or whatever the, the trait is. A, we don't know what the long-term uh, human health risks are. We don't know how safe it is on a, nope. on a long-term basis. Number two, it's not going to be labeled. And number three, it has the real potential to contaminate uh, the organic food supply. 
Yeah, I 100% agree with that. And uh, you said something, I, I got to touch on it. This to me is exactly how we've handled the pesticide issue in this country. It's fine until it's not. And then we'll take it off the market, let alone, right? I mean, that's, you can, how many different things can you cite that, that, that are exactly fill that category? And I think this is the exact same thing because you're right. It does not need to be labeled because it's not considered GMO because there's no genetic material added, right? It's working inside of stuff. And again, and I'm concerned that this is something that the organic industry is going to land into um, or be forced into or, or, or a runway will be created that is very easy to get into. And that, I think, is something that we've got to be very, very careful about. Um, you know, the GMO thing is, is creeping, it, creeping into the system right now with a lot of conversation, which was, you know, I remember when that was a big part of 1990 and that whole debate and conversation about what that all was and how that first started. Some of the companies were leaning into it. They're not really around any longer. So I agree with you that this is going to be a really big concern. But, you know, when you think about the organic sector, you touched on a little bit. I like it a little bit deeper. You think this is reality? You think that the, the, the industry itself is going to look away from, you know, like look away from the light and, and squeak something like this through? Because, you know, they're talking about things like taking the black, taking the seeds out of a blackberry, taking the bite out of a radish or, you know, or a, a, a green to make it a little more palatable. Those are the things they're starting with. That's just a tipping point of where it's going to go. I think gene editing is going to be absolutely every, I think everything's going to be gene edited and it's a real concern in terms of organic. As I mentioned before, this, this former USDA official, Greg Ibach, maybe we can link to it in the show notes. Yeah. There's a video of him testifying on at a sub at, at a congressional subcommittee hearing saying we should be considering gene editing in organic. I interviewed, as I mentioned, two NOSB national organic standards board members who believe we should be discussing genetic engineering in organic. So anyone who thinks that, oh, G GMOs in organic will never happen. I mean, you're wrong. It's being discussed now. So the first yeah. thing of it getting into organic is having a discussion about it. So no one can dismiss the possibility of GMOs in organic. And that's the reason we eat organic was because we wanted an alternative system to the industrial conventional system. We wanted, uh, you know, people in the 60s and 70s, they wanted an alternative to what was being presented to them. And so this is the exact opposite of why organic, the, the, the movement organic industry was started. Um, yep. so the, the possibility of GMOs and organic can absolutely cannot be dismissed. It's clearly something that should never be in organic, but there, there, there are people in organic that want it. Well, there's, you know, again, you know, greed is as back to my friend, George Carlin, which I love this quote. I happened to see this and I just, I loved it, but it's, you know, greed is always an underlying concern and it rules a lot of decisions. Right. And that's where this comes down to. It becomes about, it, it really, you know, when you take a look at some of this evolution, it's more about dollars than it is about cents. And I think that's where we start to get a little bit off the rails. And, and, you know, when I think about this industry as a whole, from my perspective of being around the bush a few, you know, a few weeks now playing in the sandbox, um, the industry is very fragmented in a lot of ways. I talked about earlier about, you know, we should be raising the bar in agriculture technology. We should be having these conversations in, in a more meaningful way than some of the splinteredness that we seem to have. It, it just, it's what this industry has been. I think it grew too fast. I think it lacked leadership early on. I think, you know, the money was just flying. The shelf space started happening, especially post-Alar. You know, it went pretty nuts. Um, 
And I think that that got us off the rails a little bit, but we are meeting, I think, to try to come together. And a lot of these associations are kind of all over the place. There's not one unified voice. And I think consumers are going to suffer from that. I think the trade will suffer from that. You know, how do we overcome some of this? I mean, you know, how do we kind of bundle up the things we've kind of talked about, but how do we come together and tackle these issues in a way that similar to how I try to build this platform, that we can talk and work these things out? Because there's not really a good way of doing it. Do you have any thoughts about that, how we can work to help this division? Well, Todd, you Besides reading your newsletter. Besides reading your newsletter. Sorry. Well, you, you bring up a very good point. Because for people who are not in the industry, what is going on behind the scenes is there the organic trade association and the non the uh, consumer advocacy groups do not see eye to eye on some of the on, on, on the on the hot button issues. No, and that is a huge problem we have. Is we are not we are not there's not alignment. There's a lot of distrust. No. And the consumer advocacy groups uh, do not, uh, and, and, and the Organic Trade Association, uh, they do not see eye to eye on the, the major, uh, the most important issues facing our industry. So I don't have an, I, I don't have an answer. Uh, either. And it's, 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 a, it's a real problem because we are going up against such a well-funded um, opponent in terms of the GMO industry and the chemical companies, they're so well-funded that we need to be unified and we are not. Yeah, no, I, I don't look, I, I look at, at, and I don't want to pick on anybody or what it is, but I look at, you know, this really started with looking at the trade association as itself. It's like, they don't want hydroponic, but they take dues from hydroponic members. And it's like, okay, now we're at a point of like, we're just, you know, it's whack-a-mole now, right? It just makes no sense. And again, I just don't see us coming together to raise the bar. And I think that's where the organic industry wins because we are an industry of alternatives. We have always been. One of my biggest regrets a thousand years ago was that we didn't fight harder at not being so forced to be so packaged in the organic deal. We should have made the other guys be the ones that went into packaging and we should have stayed out of it. I regret that. I wish I would have had a bigger voice and would have been able to unify and would have been a little smarter and a little bit uh, more wisdom under my belt to make that play because I think we screwed everybody. I really do. I think we could have done it better, but we didn't and now we're stuck. Well, you know, when you talk about raising the bar, I want to circle back to what you asked yeah. me in the beginning. What I'm so excited about is these two add-on labels because I believe that regenerative organic certified and real organic projects are raising the bar. So um, this is the USDA organic as a baseline, and they are raising the bar for what organic should be. Yeah. And but I think, but there's so many of them now too. You got all these different ones are thrown. That's where I think we get that consumer confusion. It's like, how do we come? You know, how do we? How do we come up with a good? How, what is going to be the you know the benchmark standard to be or regenerative organic? How do we do it instead of being this fragmented? Because you're going to have five different off labels of regenerative. They're out there now. There's multiple ones that are floating around. Well, they're not regenerative organic. They're regenerative, but they're not regenerative organic. Um, and, you know, yes, there are a lot of labels out there, but these two are the ones that I am the most excited about because they both use USDA organic as a baseline. Yeah. Other, others do not. I, I didn't ask you, and I meant to ask you, and I know we were, we got into the CRISPR thing, we got off on another tangent, which is great, which means I love when you get on conversations and drift apart. But Expo West, lab-grown meat, because I, it's a trip. Do you mind touching on it really quick? I don't want to not bring that up because I think your, your insight on that is incredibly valuable. 
Well, the world's the, the country's largest organic food show is called Natural Products Expo West. Right. Pre-COVID, it was 88,000 people, something. So it's a, it's a very large show. Uh, it's brands, crazy. Brands, you, you, you need, you know, some of the very established brands have stopped going, a few of them. Uh, but essentially, all the brands are there. Uh, and at the keynote address in 2022, we were told that in order to feed the world lab-grown meat, the only way we're going to feed the world is 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 from lab-grown meat. This was the keynote presentation of natural and organic. At the keynote presentation of natural and organic, we were told at Natural Products Expo West, the largest organic trade show in the country, lab-grown meat is the only way we're going to feed the world. Uh, I, I mean, why is this being done at the biggest organic trade show in the country? Uh, do not understand it, but this is what the people who run the show want. They're pro. They're advocating for these GMO 2.0 lab-grown meats, uh, these types uh, of companies. And so this is, and there were, I was moderating the panel uh, this year at Expo West, Expo West 2023, and... Um, we, we, there was a panel on the GMO 2.0 and it got very contentious and the pro GMO 2.0 people were in the audience furious that they were not being represented on stage and saying that we were uh, distorting the truth and everything like that. So these are the kind of things that we are facing at the big country's biggest organic trade show. Um, it's something I do not understand. It's something I do not agree with. I do not think GMOs should be at uh, this trade show. I don't put on the show. It's not up for me to decide. Right. This is how GMOs are infiltrating organic. As I mentioned, what happened with the, at, at, at the USDA, at the National Organic Standards Board, at the largest organic trade show. So for people out there who are watching say, oh, GMOs will never happen. And as long as I, you know, go to Whole Foods and buy organic each week, I'm doing my part. No, you, people need to be involved and need to be aware of what's going on because organic is under massive attack, massive from every single side. Well, I agree. And again, it goes by, I think it's capitalism. I think it's all the things we touched about, but I, I think that the organic has an opportunity to, I hope, seizes an opportunity to come together to tackle some of these issues, to talk about these issues, to get them out in a, a, a voice that isn't so fragmented, the consumer doesn't know what to do anymore. Because what's going to end up happening, if, if, if the voice gets fragmented, the consumer is just going to tune it out. And that is really becomes a problem because we are talking about food. You know, we're not talking about my Sharpie here. We're talking about food. We're talking about things that have such huge effects on so many things in our lives and on this planet. So I hope that people get their heads wrapped around it. I really, really do. I mean, I that's my call to action is how do we unify and how do we make this, you know, how do we get people to really embrace understanding the true value of food in this country? Yeah. I mean, people need to be involved. They need to know what's going on. And if you want to buy the highest quality organic food, look for uh, regenerative organic certified real organic project. That is what I advocate for. There are other labels out there are great that, you know, Demeter and um, which is biodynamic, but real organic project. Uh, if, if people can walk away from anything from this conversation today, and hopefully you can put this in the show notes or have some B-roll about what the labels look like. Uh, regenerative organic certified real organic project. These are two labels you need to know about. Look for them and support those farmers. 
Yeah, I, 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 I appreciate you saying that. I, I, I think that the, I think that people need to get involved and, you know, and start to look at our food supply for what it is and start to really take a hard look at what the organic labels, what the organic seal is, what does it mean? What do these other ones mean to your point and start to, to figure out, you know, a better trajectory that we can take. But I think we've got, again, I think it's going to come down to us unifying without a doubt because there's, there's, there's so many choices that we have to make. And I think when we have so many choices around our food that we don't understand that we're making, I think it just becomes incredibly dangerous, whether it's gene editing, it's lab grown meat. Like I've tried one of those crazy burgers in my house. It was just, I was disgusting to watch it. I mean, I could have thrown the, I could have thrown the pan away if I knew my wife wasn't going to get pissed at me for throwing the pan away. So I cleaned it. That's how bad it was. It's disgusting. Anyways, what's next for you guys? What's going on for you coming up for the rest of the year? I mean, what are you, I mean, you're going to keep writing. You're going to keep opening up eyes. You're going to keep stirring up the pot, which is wonderful. What do you got exciting coming up? Uh, you know, continuing doing the work I'm doing with 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 Organic Insider, and you know the big writing about, as I said, these two add-on labels, regenerative regenerative organic certified, real organic project, talking a lot about gene editing because I don't think people get it yet what's going on, and there's a ton of education that we need to do, and uh, so things are happening behind the scenes with that, and just you know continuing to. Uh, write about you know the the most important issues facing our industry because it's it's so vital our food supply the food is medicine and we need to do it we need to do whatever we can to protect it um, and so just you know continuing to uh, do the work I'm doing and have it reach uh, more people. I love it. Keep going, dude. Don't stop. I mean, like I said, it's it pops into my inbox. I'm stoked to have it. I mean, I think it again, I think you're raising the bar, you're creating conversation. And I think we've got to get people to think more, right? Especially when it comes to our food. Like and the basis of this platform. Like again, I'm not gonna tell you what to think, but I do want to put you in a position to think. And I hope people get on the Google machine or DuckDuckGo and a little safer and uh, snoop around and start to look at some of these things we've talked about today and ask themselves, how do I feel about it? how do I value food like this? Right. I think that's a really interesting way of going about looking at stuff. How do I value this? Like, think about that when you're going through the drive through for 99 cents. How do I value this? What is it? Right. Exactly. And I think I think it's a really powerful lesson for us to learn. And Todd, every time we eat, we get to make a choice. We can either support organic farmers doing mm -hmm. the right thing, supporting the environment, soil health, or we can give our money to the GMO companies and their patent protected in inventions and the, the chemicals that they spray on it. So every single day, two or three times a day, however many times we eat, we have a choice and we, we have to make a choice about where do we want our money to go? Yeah. And I think, you know, and it's, it's interesting you brought that up and it kind of makes me think a little bit about back to what I said earlier about educating the kids and starting, because, you know, there's, there's no reason why a bodega in the inner cities cannot have fruits and vegetables and grain and things there. They're not there because nobody's putting them there. They're not there because, because it's not being demanded that they're there. We're not raising the bar. We're not lifting each other up. Right. Again, it's about, I believe in wholeheartedly. We, if we lead with love and kindness, so many good things can happen. Feeding people better food, giving those opportunities, teaching kids what it means. All kids, every kid in every school in this country a critical lesson in about food and food security and the health of our planet and what it means and the role that they can take, right, is so powerful. And I hope that it's something that we can lift up in this country because I do believe, honestly, in my heart of hearts, it's the fastest way to solve some of these problems. 
Definitely. Definitely. Yeah. Dude, I'm thanking you for hanging out with me today. I appreciate your time. Will you come back? I'd love to come back. And, Yay! Uh, See, now you said in the beginning, you were like, well, I'm glad to be here. Five hours you're in. It's like, yeah, he'll come back. That's a good thing. No, I definitely come back. And I really appreciate, uh, you know, the platform that you've built and created and grown and getting these messages out um, is, is vitally important. And, you know, the people who, who do this, whether it's written form or video or podcast, whatever it is, is, you know, we're, we're all on the same team here. We are yep. all trying to get this message out. Um, and uh, so I appreciate what you do, Todd. And thank you, uh, thank you for having me on. It's absolutely my, my pleasure. It's been an honor and you're absolutely right. I hope everybody keeps talking. I don't care how you do it. Just get talking and let's get someplace. Let's get someplace for the betterment of our planet and our country. I'm down. Sign me up. I know where we're signing up. I don't even know who's in charge of the sign-up sheet. That's how confused we are, but I'll sign it. I'm in. Thank you for being here. I really appreciate it. Everybody, thanks for listening and be a part of the conversation. Like I say all the time, I'm not going to tell you what to think, but I hope we got you to think today and make some decisions and to look things up on the Google machine and come up with your own opinion about how you value food in this country and why you value. Take time, put some energy to that. I'm telling you, it will change our country. It'll change our youth. It'll change this climate. It'll do all the things we want to talk about doing the fastest. I really firmly believe that. So thanks, Max, for being here. Thanks, everybody. Don't forget, check us out on social media, TLC underscore conversation. I'm on there. You know why I'm on social media, Max? Why is that? Because that's where all the cool kids are, and that's where I'm hanging. That's where I hang out with all the cool kids. (laughs) Thanks, everybody, for being here. Appreciate it. Remember, go inspire somebody. It's incredibly important. Take care.